Yes, we like recording in progress. Testing, testing, testing. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to G Plus Two is Chicken. This is Courtney. I'm Sarah. You know how we love to have fun. Yes, we on do. Our show. We do. And we used to teach middle school. Yep. So this week I thought it might be fun to play Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Do you remember oh, that show? I do remember that show. Jeff Foxworthy. Yes. yes. I don't know why they don't have it anymore. Oh, probably because people weren't really smarter <laughs> than a fifth grader. <laughs> I'm afraid that's what we're going to find, but I guess we'll see. So, see, I don't think I am. I, I feel like I for today's fifth grader. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I'm pretty I mean, sure. Let's just set ourselves up for failure. Yeah. And set then, the bar low. Yeah. And yeah. then we all we great. can do is rise above it. <laughs> yes. Which as a teacher, you preach the other way. Right. <laughs> you can right. do it. Yes. You're so smart. Yes. <laughs> let's not follow okay. our own advice. No. Okay, so the first one. Uh, so we have a timer or something? or Yes. Okay. Let's do our timer. We'll say it's, um, oh, let's do five minutes because. So how many we can get right in five minutes yeah. is what we're going for? Okay. Yes. So in a class, in classical music, what instruments usually comprise a string quartet? String quartet. Okay. Um, Violin. Violin, yeah. Uh, guitar has strings. <laughs> yes. <Is> that- <laughs> I've never uh, seen it, but I think it should be. I, it's, I'm just trying to think of it. Uh-huh. 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 strings. Oh, a heart. Yes. Oh, the cello. The cello. Bass. Bass. A bass. <laughs> Let's see the answer here. Oh, two violins, a viola. I don't remember what a viola is and a cello. Between a cello and a violin? I don't know. I mean, I like ours better. Listeners, we are not in a string quartet. So that's why we don't have to know it. Yeah, right. And I frankly, I like your string quartet. We're not a guitar and a bass and a harp and a I would much rather listen to that. That, anyway. that would be a good time. So I don't think that really I don't think that qualifies. Mm-hmm. I think they're wrong on that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Okay, um, in the initials of the federal agency known as NASA, what does the first A stand for? Uh, I think A plus because you have to have good grades. <laughs> you have to have good grades if you're going to be in NASA. That's true. Correct? Does it have Does it have to do with astro National astronauts? Astronaut. <laughs> Solving astronaut problems. Astrological. Astrological astro- I don't problems. Know. Yes. Uh, I don't it know. Is, uh, let's see. Aeronautics. Aeronautics. Oh, that, that makes sense. Aeronautics. Aeronautics. Okay. All right. We didn't go to space either. <laughs> we so. didn't really need to know that one nope. either. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, which blood type is known as the universal recipients? Oh, negative. I say A plus. <laughs> Again, I I go with A plus. What is it? I think it's O negative. A B. Oh, A B. I don't even know what I am. Do you? I think I'm O positive. I don't even know. There's a lot of. I think 
I think we better read up on that. Yeah. We might, that one we might need to know. We might need to know that possibly mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. future. But do you think people actually learn that in fifth grade? Exactly. Mm-hmm. What child I mean, is walking around knowing right? their blood type? Next, no. that one. No. Okay. Uh, here we go. The Statue of Liberty was a gift to the U.S. from where? France. Ding, 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 ding. Um, who painted the Mona Lisa? Leonardo da Vinci. Da Vinci. Yeah. I almost said DiCaprio. And <laughs> he did paint. <laughs> he did paint Titanic. I mean, he That's why I got it. I think it, I, yeah. I think it kind of counts mm-hmm. if you're grading me on a curve. Well, if you just say Leonardo, then you're just right. Right. Anyway, just say Leonardo. So just don't say the last name. <laughs> that's my strategy. Uh, that's, I love it. Okay. <laughs> You have 20 pairs of shoes, but there is only one room. Nope. There is only room in your closet for eight. Oh, how many pairs of shoes do you have to get rid of? Well, first of all, I think that problem is whack because even if you can only have eight shoes in your closet, there's no reason you can't have 20. Right. I'd get a shoe stacker and just stack them (laughs) to the ceiling or build a bigger room. Take over your husband's closet. This We're not going to actually not, solve this problem with yes. the math equation. We're just going to say make room for the 20 pairs right. of shoes. Yeah. This is really not a question about math. This uh-uh. is really, I mean, if we're going to relate it to real life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's be. Figure out yeah. a way to keep all the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, with my kids' shoes, if they're stinky and smelly. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to throw those out. Yep. But. I don't really see a situation. How many pairs of shoes do you think you have? Oh. Mm. Now I have to be careful because if my husband's listening, yeah. I can't make the number too high. Right, right. Um, I definitely say more than 20. Oh, for sure. Sure. Yeah. For if I sure. had a pair it down to eight, the world would end. I, I don't think I could do it. No, I definitely could not do it. And realistically, not even eight for each season. I couldn't do it. No, no. Mm -mm. And even kids, realistically, I mean, I don't even, my kids can't find a person. Right. Right. I don't even buy them. We have to have that many just so when we're scrambling to get out the door, we have two that match. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We digress. Again, lame question. Nope. We're not doing that question. All right. If a shopping cart. Oh no. Math again. If a shopping cart contains one apple, two bananas, three oranges, and four hot dogs, what percentage of the cart's total contents is fruit? Now, again, I have a problem with that. Who's shopping around with one apple, two bananas, three oranges, and four hot dogs? The four hot dogs is what gets me. Where can you just buy four, four hot dogs? That is four packs of hot dogs. Yeah. This I is mean, not a real This person. is not real life. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Okay, but... Let's try. Let's try. One, One apple, two bananas, three so oranges, that's four hot dogs. One, five, six, three, six, and ten. Six. So ten things. Ten things and four of them. So six tenths. Uh, which I don't know how to make it into percentage. I can just do the and, fraction. Uh, six tenths. So that's, oh, three. Point oh six. So that three, would be. Four, seventy-five? Seventy-five <laughs> percent? Is it 75%? Um, I could say yes. Oh, you're 15% too hot. Oh, 
See, I didn't teach math. That's okay. But that's why I need you. You still, you still get a point. Okay. That was, okay. that's effort. It was and I'm going to count that. A for effort. Um, okay. The bassoon is a member of what musical family? Oh, no. I always think of baboon. Baboon. <laughs> or baboo on oh, Aladdin. Isn't that the little you know monkey? Latin? Oh, on Latin? Aladdin. Oh, <laughs> Latin? <laughs> no, bring it back down bring to Bring it back down. Aladdin. Aladdin. Disney. Yes, not, yes. Not Latin. Right, right. Um, you know Latin? <laughs> Do you think the bassoon yes. takes a reed and yep. are the reed instruments, reeded instruments, wood woodwinds? Wins. You're right. I think they are. Let's see. Let's see. Woodwinds! Oh, yeah. Let's count up how many we have. Well, I don't know if you really want to count those up. I'm just going to say we did a darn good job. We're winners. And, we're winners. And we're winners no matter what. So I say in some ways we were smarter than you. Yes. Yeah. And yes. I think that those questions, I think we could redo those questions. Absolutely. Like, how many X does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? Now that is something a fifth grader uh-huh. should know. Yep. Speaking of being intelligent, we have um, on our show today a special guest and friend, uh, Jen Pollock Michelle. And she has had a um, two plus two equals chicken in her life um, in which her mother um, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And um, just she's going to be talking about um, what that has entailed in her life and how that has caused her to grow in many areas. And um, we're just going to get to pick her brain a little bit about this disease and um, perhaps learn some ways that we can help um, people that are uh, struggling to care for someone in their own family. So without further ado, let's get started. Today, we have the great privilege of hosting Jen Pollock-Michelle. She is an award-winning author of five books, a habit called Faith, Surprised by Paradox, Keeping Place, Teaches to Want, and her latest In Good Time. She is also a speaker and coach for aspiring writers. She holds a BA in French from Wheaton College, an MA in Literature from Northwestern University, and has just recently completed her MFA from Seattle Pacific University. Jen is a wife to Ryan and mother of five, as well as soon-to-be mother of the bride, as her oldest daughter will walk down the aisle this June. And uh, Jen and her family, including her mother, have recently moved to Cincinnati um, after living in Toronto for the past 11 years. And so because of that, we now attend the same church. And so I have had the great privilege of calling her my friend and uh, she's a fellow twin mom and mentor and encourager. And um, it's just been um, such a privilege to get to know her. So thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you guys. This is going to be fun. I'm really excited. You know, I've always wondered um, 
when and if I ever got to the point um, where I had to care for a parent, how do you work that within the family? So you have two boys in high school. How do you kind of, um, I mean, I'm just, I know that they see her and they probably do some things, but how do you gauge um, where you're not putting, I don't know if the best word is an extra burden on them, but you're, you know, you're also having them share in caring for her or how do you, how do you kind of decide mm. that? I think burden is actually not a bad word to kind of think about. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about just in terms of this whole move and some of the learning that I've been doing is just to think about the burdens that love requires. And I think, you know, we don't, we don't like to think of love in that way. I mean, certainly not romantic love, right? You know, it's supposed to be all like stars and I don't know, twinkle lights, Um <laughs> And, you know, I've been married a long time and it's not all stars and twinkle lights. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so even in marriage, even in romantic love, love requires burdens, you know, and, and I think we know that with caring for children, but now caring for a parent. And I think the invitation for me was, you know, am I willing to take up some burdens um, for another person, um, for the person God really has called me to honor um, it's a commandment. So it's kind of a big one. Um, and then, so I don't feel bad actually to share the burdens, um, mm -hmm. with my children. I actually think that's really teaching them something that, yeah. you know, in love, we do get inconvenienced, um, for another person. You know, we don't always feel like serving. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's easy to do. There are easy things that are easy for my boys to do for now. Um, you know, when I say help Nana buckle her seatbelt in the car, cause often that's a difficult thing for her. Or when I drop you off at the front of church, you know, help her walk up the stairs, hold her hand, like, so she can grasp the rail and then hold her other hand. And some things that are now routinized for them. And I don't think that they even think about it. Some yeah. of the harder things are just the hard attitudes. Uh, but the patience element of it is, is harder. You know, I think that they do get impatient with her and they... Um, it just, you know, whatever it is, whether it's just answering the same question or just even saying things like, yes, we did turn 16, you know, she didn't, didn't really remember their birthday, you know, um, and that's hard just talking, you know, just talking and say, it's, it's really sad. I admit where it's hard for me. We pray for patience and compassion. Um, and we talk about love as a carrying of burdens for another person and that there are all times. The other thing I think that's really beautiful for the family is just to remember family units are support systems. Mm -hmm. And we will all experience seasons of vulnerability and weakness. And one of the reasons why God puts the lonely in families, um, and I mean biological families, I mean the church family, I don't just mean, you know, the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. um, but here, of, of course, I'm specifically talking about our biological family unit. God has a reason for doing that. It's so that we can be a support to each other. And I think it's a reminder for the twins that they're human. They may go through something in their lives where they're going to rely on somebody else and they're going to want that person to meet them with compassion and mercy. You've also shared in your writing um, some of the bitter providences in your life 
that mm. you experienced growing up, such as the loss of your father when you were in college and as well as losing your brother a year after graduation. And that relating to her now, you know, you'll often discuss some of these things and she doesn't remember, which mm-hmm. many times then it would cause you to relive those heartbreaks, um, which takes quite a toll on you. So how you um, find ways to to be encouraged um, on your end or you know, it, it, one of the things that is just so weird is to be the keeper of memory now in the family. Yeah. And I think writing has always been that for me. I think that I've been doing that for a long time. I think, and I think that is also making it easier now is that I have grappled with these stories of loss for many, many years. Um, and in, in just in the course of my writing, if anybody reads all my books, they're going to be like, okay, she's going to talk about, you know, her dad's death and her brother's death. Like these are just, mo- these are just like, they're just watershed moments, watershed events in my life. And you can't, I can't even think about my life apart from those losses. I actually can't think of my experience of faith, you know, my faith in Jesus apart from those losses, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, cause it's just really shaped my view of God. I would say, you know, just as early as 18, I'm grappling with the biggest questions of, you know, can God be good if life isn't? And, and I think that is a beautiful kind of severe mercy in my life is that I I was really given that question very early. That was forced upon me um, just by life. And um, I'm happy, grateful to say through, you know, I mean, it's not as if there haven't been doubts along the way and just places of great, deep anguish. But the pain doesn't feel so acute, I guess. And so that what is what makes it easier to talk about, talk to my mom. I also think it our conversations, my mom and I, the conversations that we have mirror the conversations that a parent has with a child. Yeah. So when a child is asking a question, you know how like when a child asks a question, what a parent wants to do is like, what are they really asking? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the scope of the answer that I will actually give? You know, if the child is only asking this much, you know, I don't need to like give them eight pages when they only really want a paragraph. Mm -hmm. And then for my mom, that that is very much how these conversations go. She kind of wants the detail, the names, she wants kind of like age of, um, you know, the age of the person when they died and how they died. And so a lot of times, you know, it'll get into like, now where are my parents buried? Well, that, well, you know, it's kind of like a rehearsal almost of love of just, just the genealogy, the people, the dates of the births, the deaths, you know, the marriages and, and that's all my mom wants. And I can give her that. And, um, I do think it's actually, I think one of the things that's been challenging for me as I think about being a keeper of memory is that I want to keep the story well. You know, I want to keep a true story about our family. And I actually really want to keep a true story about my mom. Um, so you're, you know, as you're talking about like kind of being the the keeper of the memories and even how, you know, like a lot of the questions that you're having to like re-answer over and over again, it's almost like you know, when you're talking to a child and that's like, I think our relationships 
with our parents do tend to change, of course, as we get older. And when we're, you know, parents ourselves, then that's a much different relationship with our parents than when we were living in their home and, you know, under their authority and all of that. But um, I would imagine like this is almost kind of a surreal feeling you have the the way that your relationship has has switched <laughs> you know as as she's kind of declined mm it is and you know i i think i'm i think we're kind of like cresting another hill in it i would just describe it as there are all these different kind of mountains you climb and then you climb over them and then you're like, you know, then you're in a new routine. I mean, early on it was, you know, just taking financial responsibility, medical paperwork, power of attorney. I mean, kind of all the legal stuff. And, and I am very grateful she turned all of that over very easily. Um, and in many ways, she just kind of put, she's put herself in my hands and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, as much as I might be sad, you know, I think sometimes people have just a legitimate, just anxiety and terror over the what they're losing. And so that even just represents that they're cognizant. <laughs> and I don't think that my mom has ever shown that. And so there's a sadness there. You know, I wish that she could, I mean, there's a sadness in that I just feel like she's just not even in touch with what she's losing. So of course I'm sad about that. But on the other hand, it makes it easier for me. Sure. Um, but now we're sort of into a new stretch of um, me saying to my mom things like, I think you should change your pants. I've, I've, I've seen you every other day, you know, for about a week and a half and you've always been wearing those pants and maybe you did wash them in between, but I think it might be time to change those or calling her in advance of picking her up and saying, it is very cold today. So make sure you wear your heaviest coat yeah. um, or zipping up. You know, one of the things that I did not expect with the Alzheimer's journey was the way in which your vision and your hearing are impaired, not because you your something's wrong with your ears or something wrong is wrong with your eyes, but because your brain is always reading your visual and auditory cues. Hmm. The inform the input that you get from your eyes, your brain still has to read the pictures and the sounds that your ears import, your brain still has to make sense of them, still has to decipher them. So your brain's involved in all of that. And so that's something I didn't expect. So a lot of times I have to help my mom zip her coat. Um, and that's why the twins have to help her with their buckle because she just can't see those kinds of things. And um, so it's a lot of tactile helping, which actually makes me feel very much like I'm kind of like I'm back in the young kid phase. You know, I'm zipping coats. I'm sometimes tying shoes. I'm sometimes, you know, and Courtney, you've probably seen this at church, you know, my mom won't be able to remember what pew we were in after communion. We go forward and come back. And I'm always like, I got her by the elbow. <laughs> I'm trying to get her in the right pew and make sure that after church, she doesn't get lost after she goes to the bathroom. So there's this, just this new kind of awareness I have of this person in my orbit who could get lost, won't be able to maybe manage and manipulate some certain things and situations. And I, you know, it, one of the things that's hard about it is you just, I don't want to step in too soon. I want to, I want her to feel that she has the dignity to do things for herself that she can do for herself. Um, 
And I don't always know how much struggle to allow, if that makes sense, you know, because it's not like your kids. If you let your kids struggle, sometimes the struggle produces learning and that, and, and, and I, I just don't always know how much struggle will produce learning um, and how much struggle will produce frustration. And that's one of the things I'm often sort of wrestling with in my mind. Um, what is something that you think like, you know, people who haven't cared for a loved one with Mm. Alzheimer's, um, kind of get wrong or may not know. Mm. One of the things, at least that I got wrong early on was the reality orientation that we're really tempted to do. That's sort of what they call it, call it in Alzheimer's in the Alzheimer's world is that, you know, when people start to kind of get, disoriented in reality, whether it's time. I mean, you know, obviously that's the, that's the most obvious one. Like what day is it? And what happened yesterday? And then two weeks ago is a lot of times we're, we're tempted to just continue to orient them to reality. You know, my mom is, for example, never said, you know, I think your dad's still alive. I mean, she's never done that, but sometimes that'll happen with Alzheimer's patients. You know, they'll think dead people are still alive or they'll, I was talking to somebody recently and they said, you know, they moved their mother into an assisted living. She has dementia, um, but she's convinced she still lives at home. And, you know, and we're tempted to think that we're helping the person, if we orient them to reality, like, no, that didn't really happen last week or yesterday, or no, you know, you ate this for breakfast or, or no, that person is not alive or, you, you know, no, I, you know, whatever. And it, and it just tends not to be helpful. Um, it doesn't stick number one. So you can orient somebody to reality, but they're going to be pretty disoriented like in another minute or hour or day. So it it doesn't stick. There's nothing lasting or permanent about your reality orientation. And for a lot of people, now this is not true for my mom, but for a lot of people that can be the source of anxiety for them. Like, and as I mentioned, you know, for people who do have a sense of the things they're losing of the grasp that they're losing on reality, then they get really, really anxious. So the more you orient them, the more cognizant they are that they're disoriented. How could someone um, who uh, knows a friend um, that is caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's, um, you know, or dementia, how, what do you find helpful? What do you find? And I'm sure it's different for everyone, but um, what, what would you say to someone that, you know, looking in like, I want to help, but I don't want to, you know, butt in or I don't know what to do. Do you have any suggestions? One of the things that my husband is doing that I've really appreciated is that he always says to me things like, I see what you're doing for your mom. Hmm. You're doing such a good job. You know, he'll say, you're doing such a good job. That was so sacrificial that you did this. And, Hmm. oh, I'm no, like he deliberately tries to notice because I said, my mom doesn't notice. My mom won't keep a record. And I think as human beings, we do want to know that, I mean, there's a reason why like 
God will commend his servants. You know, there's a longing that we have to know that the work we do is good and meaningful and purposeful. And just to have somebody else say that, I mean, it, it encourages me so much when people say, I, I, you know, I see that, I see what you're doing. And, and then of course, just praying for people, just praying for them. Um, not only that they would be able to show up for the tasks, which are many, but just to show up with a heart full of love. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly good at like doing the thing and I'm also very good at doing it uncheerfully (laughs) and, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. So I would love for people to be praying for me. And I think other caregivers like that, they would just have the inner resources that they need to show up with compassion and mercy. That is all so helpful to know um, not only how to help, but also how to pray. Um, You've also said before that it's encouraging to just have someone come along um, with you when you go to visit her and that she's happy and just seems content to just listen and to be around others. And so it's a win-win in the sense that she's able to be around others and also that you're able to have someone there to um, help and, and listen as well. And then along with that, letting others help out by asking if someone would just go and visit with her. Um or take her out to lunch. And I think that people really want to do that. And it's a great opportunity for you to let others in when I'm sure that it can feel like you're all alone. There are so many people I know who are, even if it's not Alzheimer's, they are caring for, you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the phase of life. I feel like Courtney and I are in is a lot of our friends are you know, in this same boat with you, you know, Mm. so I think this will be a real encouragement to a lot of people. Mm. Well, thank you for asking. Thank you for allowing me a little bit of space to reflect. It's been, it's just really been a gift. Thank you. That's great. So that was great. I'm, um, you know, she is one of the most genuine people I've ever met. When I first met her, I think it was at, um, introducing her book or, or, um, something to that effect. And when I talked to her for the first time, she was so present, so engaged. Yeah. And, um, that's a rare thing. I mean, she meets, Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine how many people she meets and right. to just give that attention to every person yeah. is such a rare thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I loved, I loved meeting her. I mean, she's just so easy to talk to. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you just wouldn't realize all that she has going on. And and I loved how she talked about, um, just giving her mom, making sure she still has dignity, even though she's got all these struggles. Um, you know, she still wants to maintain that for her mother. And, uh, you know, that's a, that would be really, um, difficult thing to yeah. try to balance and, and figure out. Um, and I love that, you know, she's so in tune with those things. Well, and, and the other thing too, she talked about not keeping a record of the truth, mm-hmm. like, because that's not, that helps, that might be helpful to her and that mm-hmm. might feel good to her, but that's not helpful for her mom. Mm-hmm. But that would be so hard to do, yeah. you know, like you want, you do, 
want all the things that you're doing, not necessarily to be recognized, but just, you know, to be remembered and to be Mm -hmm. appreciated. And that's, this isn't a situation where that can really happen. So that's, that's hard hard to kind of switch, make that switch in your brain to what is most beneficial for her mom, Mm -hmm. you know, to come to that realization that now, you know, what you do or what you say may very well just not be remembered that it could just get worse. And all of those things just are going to probably get lost. And that's, I would assume that's hard to um, mourn. And that's a very difficult thing. Yeah. Well, something I was thinking about too, when she was talking, you know, she was talking a lot about um, how it's sort of like, when you're talking to a child and you do Mm -hmm. a lot of repeating and, you know, things like that. But then she pointed out that it is different because with a child, like there's like your, your purpose is for them to learn and to Mm -hmm. eventually become independent, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's your whole goal for 18 years is to try to get them to where they can do things on their own. But with this situation, that's not the goal. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if anything, they're going to become less and less Mm-hmm. independent as time goes on, you know? So I guess that was kind of a misconception I had about yeah, um, people who are caring for someone with Alzheimer's is it's kind of like, you know, oh, it's just kind of like dealing with a child, but in, but really it's not because, mm-hmm. you know, your, your aim and your purpose is much different with this. Mm-hmm. Good point. Well, so that's it for today, guys. Sarah and I actually need to go and get some studying done. Apparently, we have a long way to go before we are actually smarter than a fifth grader. Uh, But we look forward to having you guys back in the next few weeks where we can promise to have another great guest and bring some fun along with them. Take care.